Hello and welcome to this week's Investors Chronicle Alpha podcast. I am John Human, editor of the Investors Chronicle. Uh, I'm joined today by someone who, uh, who likes to create a bit of alpha himself, our uh, private investor diarist, John Rosier. How are you doing, John? Uh, very well, thanks, John. Excellent. Great to be on. Excellent. Always good to have you. Um, so uh, we, we're kind of between issues for your, for your updates, but, but we thought it might be a good time to, to get a bit of a, a third quarter update, which is what we're seeing a lot of across the, uh, the RNS at the moment. How's the year gone so far, John? Um, right. Well, uh, I mean, this year, it's been a case, I think, um, I mean, a lot of people say two steps forward, one step back, but it, it's much harder than that, like one and a half steps forward and then one step back. Uh, but, the, I mean, the bottom line is, um, as of last night, my portfolio that I, I publish in the Investors Chronicle every month uh, is up 4% this year, exactly 4.0%. That compares with a 23% drop in the all-share total return and a 3% rise in the FTSE All-World um, Index. That's the Sterling Index uh, total return. So, I mean, not a, not a bad return. From the 23rd of March bottom, the portfolio is up 54%. That compares with 18% for the all-share and 30% to the all world. So it's bounced back well. But I have made some mistakes. Yeah, we, uh, Phil and I spoke about some mistakes on last week's uh, Alpha podcast, and I think you've made a similar one uh, that, that he did. Games Workshop, yeah. that's one of them. Yeah, that is. So the, the three were I sold Scottish Mortgage and <laughs> compounded it by, by not buying back in. So that cost a bit. Uh, Games Workshop I, I sold... I actually added at the lower level that it recovered strongly and I guess it was valuation got to me. Um, but uh, maybe I'm learning a lesson there. I was talking to someone the other day and they said, never sell because of valuation. Uh, only sell if the story's changed or, or rather than valuation. I think that was the conclusion Phil came to last week in respect yeah. of Games Workshop. That, I mean, he, he is very much a fundamentals guy and, and valuation has always been very important to him. But, but I think he's, he's, he's reached that point where he sees that valuation is, is not the be all and end all. Some of, the, some of these fast growth stocks. Yeah. On the other hand, you know, one has to stick to, to, to one's, you know, one, one's approach. And, you know, I, I sort of say in my investing approach on my website that, you know, I like, I favour stocks that are, somewhere around 14 to 20 times that sort of PE ratio with a, with a peg ratio that's sort of less than one. So that you've got some scope for, for sort of re-rating of things. Mm. So, but I mean, I sold Games Workshop and I, and I, I shouldn't have. Um, so maybe that's the thing. Maybe be disciplined on when you get into a stock uh, in terms of the evaluation, because that, that gives you a lot of upside, hopefully, from, from a revaluation. But um, then maybe let, let them run and not, not let the valuation lead you to sell the stock. What was your thinking behind, behind selling Scottish Mortgage? I think at the time, I mean, I, I mean let's be honest, uh, I didn't think that you would see the amazing recovery that you saw in, in technology stocks in the U.S., because, I mean, I sold the Scottish mortgage, um, you know, fairly early on um, in, in, the, in the drop. Um, I'm just looking here. Yeah, I sold it fairly early on in the drop. So, as I say, the big mistake was not realising what was, was happening and, and buying back into it. 
um, where, where I had that ample opportunity to do so. Yeah, I sold it here. I've, I'm having a look here. See, I sold it. Gosh, this looks awful. Look at the chart. I sold it at £6.20 um, on the 7th of February. So I was out of it then. Um, and it dropped to 450 So that looked, looked pretty good, pretty clever. <laughs> not, not, doesn't look so clever now when it's £10. Yeah, I mean, there was a whole Tesla factor in the Scottish mortgage recovery. And I mean, I don't, I don't think anyone yeah. could have predicted what's, what's gone on there. I mean, that, that, that stock, that company went, went ballistic. The shares absolutely rocketed and it's a big chunk of Scottish mortgage. I, I mean, I can understand why you might have been nervous looking, yeah. at, looking at Tesla and, and what was going on there before the recovery in the I, share I, price. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, whether I... I remember talking to, uh, again, an investment club a few years back and, and they told me something about when they when they cut a stock, they they then always made a note. And if the if the share price ever rose back to the level at which they cut it, they then reviewed it again. So maybe that's quite a good discipline to put in. But having said that, you know, would I would I have, when it recovered back to six pounds odd have got gone back in? Maybe I'd have been scared by Tesla's valuation, etc. I don't know. But um, maybe that would be a good discipline. Yeah, I mean, but you do run your risk uh, and um, reward system that you introduced into the magazine some, some months ago now. I mean, you know, yeah. in the case of Scottish Mortgage and Gains Workshop, I mean, how, how were you influenced by, by that system? Did the system work there? I mean, you know, was the system guiding you in a, in a sort of mechanical way when perhaps, perhaps a mechanical approach wasn't what, we need, what you needed at, at the point where you sold? Yeah, I think it would it would have um, because with with Games Workshop basically because of the valuation, I'd have um, lowered my sort of reward rating on it, um, and would have been, because I would have thought that you know the potential reward from it um, had been reduced because the valuation was was in my mind then stretched. Um, so mechanically, that that forced me to to reduce the uh, the exposure to it. Yeah, maybe there's a case for you know again having a sort of minimum. I mean, my, my, I think the, the problem with that with Games Workshop is maybe not selling some shares and reducing the position. You know, maybe the problem is that I've just sold out completely uh, out of what you know is a high quality. Uh, I return on capital stock. It's, it's a funny one, though, isn't it? Because they say, you know, you can never make a, a loss by taking a profit. But equally, they also say run your winners. So <laughs> it's a, you're kind of caught between two stools there. Although it, it's a funny one, though, because, I mean, one can get very hung up on, on individual stocks. And I, I always say at the end of the day, that, you know, the most important thing is how does the whole portfolio perform? How well do you do? And I, I guess if you stick to your your disciplined approach, et cetera, then, uh, which hopefully works over time, then, then those returns will come through. I, I get it's a bit like a sports team anyway. You know, you, you, you want the whole team to, to, to win, but you don't always just focus on, on one player. And let's say you drop a player, but the portfolio still performs, and that's fine. Yeah, absolutely. Um, because, because, you know, you, you, you focus on the mistakes, but then, I mean, something like, you know, I mean, pointing to something that's good. You know, I bought into Venture Life Group back in May. I've actually bought it on five different occasions now. But I'm, you know, I'm up a good thirty odd percent on that. And to me, it still looks an attractive, uh, attractive stock. Yeah, it's one of my largest holdings. 
Yeah, I mean, when, when we, as we were preparing for this, you, you brought the mistakes up. And obviously, I don't want to focus on your mistakes, John. <laughs> but, uh, do, do, do you think it's, you know, perhaps there's a better way to, to think about how you run a portfolio? It's like, here's where I messed up rather than, oh, I did really well here. Are you naturally thinking about where you've gone wrong rather than, rather than sort of congratulating yourself for getting things right? I'm only thinking about where I've gone wrong to try and learn some lessons from it. I mean, so, you know, that's why it's important. You, you, you think, right, why, why did I sell that then? And are there any lessons to be, you know, learnt from that? Mm. Um, and if there are, then, then that's great, because hopefully it'll make you a, a better investor and, and you can make new mistakes in the future. There's a valuable lesson in that in itself. Um, before we move on to the good stuff, and there is lots of good stuff in, in, in your, uh, your portfolio and investment approach, there was one more mistake that, that you mentioned. And I, I, and I think you were unlucky here, Rock Rose Energy. Yes, it, I mean, I guess the timing's unlucky. But, I mean, Rock Rose Energy, um, I sold uh, in April. And um, a few weeks later, there was a, a, a bid for us as a, a nice hefty premium. So that, that cost, I've, I've just checked it out. So that, that cost the portfolio about £23,000. Um, so uh, that was just over 4% of the value of the portfolio. So when I say the portfolio is up 4% this year, I mean, all things being equal, it would have been up around 8% had I, had I not made that decision. But uh, again, there you go. You make the decisions for a reason. It's yeah. bad luck, and, and, and you've got a bit of hindsight yeah. in there as well, which you, you, know, you obviously couldn't yeah. predict at the yeah. time. I mean, talking yeah. of predictions, something else we, we, uh, we, we talked about before we, before we started recording was, was the business of predictions, which is something you said you didn't really like. But, but, but we have to look to the future. I mean, how, how, do, you, how do you sort of go about wondering where things are going to go, but, but also try not to predict where, where things are going to go? Well, I, I guess the thing is, um, you know, at the end of the day, I, mean, I, I try and focus on picking stocks where I think, you know, I'd be happy holding it sort of in any circumstances. Would I be happy holding this stock in a year's time or three years' time? And so I think, think that's an important starting point. Because if you're just buying a stock because you think a certain thing will happen in the market and that certain thing doesn't happen, then you're left high and dry. So I think the starting point is making sure you're really happy with those stocks and would you hold them for the long term. And, and this sort of gets you onto this, you know, big debate at the moment between, you know, value and growth and should we be buying more value, which has underperformed so badly. Um, and I think there is a case for, for buying value or recovery stocks. Um, but I think you've got to be really certain of which ones you buy. Um, because, you know, if, if, if the economy doesn't recover how you, how you think it might, then um, you've got to be certain that the stock doesn't, uh, doesn't disappear altogether, go bust. Yeah, absolutely. But, but you said you were feeling more bullish. And, you know, given what, yes, we see, yeah. given what we see going on around us, you know, there is, a, there is a rather sort of bitter US election being fought, the outcome of which is very uncertain and, and could prove horrendous for markets either way. Um, the COVID crisis doesn't look like it's going away. If anything, it looks like it's worsening. Where, where's your bullishness coming from? Right. Well, I mean, well, first of all, I, I do try and um, take, uh, you know, re, a sort of medium term view anyway. So I'm, I'm always sort of, you know, whenever I'm looking at the stocks and my reward sort of rating on the stock, I, I'm trying to look out over the next 12 months. Do I, you know, how, how do I think this stock, or well, what potential does this stock have over the next 12 months? So, 
you know, who knows what will happen next Tuesday. Um, you know, one hopes for a clear-cut result one way or the other, I guess, rather than, you know, uncertainty. But, you know, after that, I mean, I think whatever happens, you get to January, there'll be a, you know, new president will be uh, inaugurated or, or, or Donald Trump will start a second term. But, um, you know, that sort of uncertainty will be gone. Hopefully there'll be a Brexit agreement. Again, you know, people might think I'm optimistic to think there will be. But, uh, you know, I think the way these things go, it's in everyone's interest. And um, I think, you know, it might go down to the wire. But I think there will be an agreement. Um, So, again, maybe I'm being hopelessly optimistic. But I think looking out to next year, at some stage... um, you know, this dreadful COVID will will be sort of behind us, or or at least it won't be so important in our everyday lives, either because of um, herd immunity or because of um, vaccinations or, or whatever. But you could then see, you know, I think as you pointed out in your editorial in today's edition, you know, a, a complete change in the way that people behave, um, which at the moment seems a bit odd to us. And um, I, I saw in uh, you know, John Authors, um, former colleague of yours at the FT, he, he does a daily email. And a few weeks ago, he, he put a, a chart out from um, Longview Economics. And it basically highlighted how much um, household savings have, have grown you know, during during this um, during this pandemic, but he, we all know the savings ratio shot up. But he, the long view have actually put it in terms of billions of pounds, and but basically it goes back to 1992, and up until the beginning of this year, it bounced around between 20 and 40 billion in total, and then basically from February March this year, it's just shot up, and uh, the figure's now 110 billion. So there's 110 billion of household savings there, which I think when confidence returns, will get spent. And I guess it's working out where where it will get spent. Yeah. And holidays. I'd have thought holidays. I should think a lot of people have, have missed out on a, a nice overseas holiday this year. Uh, maybe cars, maybe electric cars, um, maybe just shopping, you know, clothes, etc. Um, so there could be quite a boom in sort of consumer spending at some stage next year. Don't know when, second quarter, third quarter. Yeah, I mean, I, I guess you, no, you're right. So the point of my editorial is, well, you know, we we often hear that COVID has brought about permanent changes to the way we work, shop, you know, eat. You know, pretty much every aspect of our lives is going to change permanently. And, I, and my my view is that that's perhaps been overstated. Uh, that that actually, yeah, we are where we are now. But but people would like just you know the new normal might be people wanting to get back to the old normal, uh, going out, going shopping, as you say. So so I can see that value argument. But isn't, isn't yeah. it the timing yeah. thing that's the problem? Because people have been calling the uh, you know the rebirth of value for some time. Yes, yes. Well, and also I mean there was a, a fascinating talk given by Terry Smith a month or so ago, which got some pub, uh, publicity, and. Um, you know, he's a fund smith and obviously a, a, a growth investor or, or, or certainly, you know, more of a quality investor. I mean, obviously, he picked, picked his stocks for this, but he looked at uh, a basket of five stocks 
uh, in 2015, things like Exxon, General Electric, HSBC, M&S and Vodafone. They all had trailing PEs in the mid-teens, uh, except Vodafone actually was only on five times, but the others were on around 12, 15 times. So you then looked at a growth basket of trailing PEs of Adobe on 136, Amazon on minus 593, Facebook 71, Netflix 554, PayPal 88. And he said, you know, what, what, which would you have thought in 2015 might have done better? Or would, would have been a, a safer bet given those valuations? And the point is, five years later, that value basket is down 45% and the growth basket is up 800%. Yeah, that value basket sounds like a, a, a few companies that have had issues that have been around for a long, long time, though. Big, big tankers to turn around. I think he, he, he selected, he selected <laughs> wisely. But, but then again, you know, you look at some of those PEs on those growth stocks. And uh, I, I mean, I, I certainly wasn't buying any of those. Five, four or five years ago because I'd have been completely put off by the valuation. Um, but, so, but I do think that there, there, there could be a huge bounce back. When you look at, um, I mean, you look at area, I mean, banks, and I guess they're having a little bit of a bounce this week on slightly better figures. But uh, you look at, I mean, retail areas like that, um, and, you know, some of these, uh, you know, get it right. I mean, Superdry is a stock I don't hold, but certainly one I'm looking at, and the share price seems to be telling you something. Um, and, yeah, if it, these recovery stocks, if they, if they start to, you know, beat expectations, et cetera, they can get a real following. So, uh, well, I think one recovery stock I do own, yeah, I bought a few months back was Billaroo. I was just about to point that out. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, that, that, that's the sort of clear out-and-out out recovery stock in my, in my portfolio in that, you know, the, the, the valuation looks pretty cheap, uh, you know, moving out um, into next year. It needs, uh, it, you know, they, they've had their, their rights issue to, to shore up the balance sheet. Uh, the management seemed to be doing the right thing in terms of sort of expectation management and also in terms of running the business, in terms of cutting costs, focusing on, on the, the, you know, the good growth areas within the business. Um, but I think we've got inference next month but we've had a trading update, so maybe I shouldn't expect too much from that. It wasn't a good performer for you last month, was it? I think uh, you, you, you mentioned it as one of the, uh, the poor performers down 10%. So, I mean, it can, yeah. these things can be a bumpy ride. Yes, it, I think it will be at this stage because um, yeah, until, until the recovery is proven or, or people really buy into it, then uh, you know, it tends, it'll tend to tra- trade side, sideways within a you know, within a, a sort of, I don't know, 30p sort of, which 20% for this, for this stock, sort of from the 160s down to the sort of 130 level. But, but then what, what you tend to get, hopefully, is a sort of step change. Um, when they come out with results that one would hope would then lead to earnings upgrades because the recovery is shown to be sort of ahead of expectations. Then, then you'd hope to see a step change up to a, a new sort of trading trading range. Mm. I guess this is—I mean, this is like one of those 
companies that, that, that people have written off because COVID is, has changed the world. You know, this, this, is, this is the death of cash victim, isn't it, De La Rue? Um, and, and I guess then you've got that bumpy ride. So you, you've got two sort of cognitive hurdles to overcome here. Overcoming that narrative in the first place, that this is a company in the wrong place, and then hanging on when, yeah. when, it, when it bounces around. What, what do you do to stay disciplined there? Well, I, I, yes, I mean, that, that's true. So now, and I think ultimately the, the only thing that can sort of change that narrative um, is, is results. So each time they come out with, with better results, improved results, and also they demonstrate, you know, the new area, the, the areas of the business that are actually performing very well, which for them is a sort of certification business, authentication business. So, you know, m- physical cash or banknotes becomes less important although you know it's still important it was good to see they they won an extension of their bank of england contract this morning um but you know the other the other business with decent high return on capital um you know if that grows strongly then again the narrative can change i think and also you know the management you know how they come across in terms of you know, really getting the business uh, moving in the right direction. Again, that, that, that's important. You know, they've got to tell the story um, and then basically beat expectations. That, that, that's the art of the game. Mm. I mean, I know you do a lot of research, whatever uh, share you're buying, but, but in the case of a company like Delarue, I get you, it sounds like you've got to dig a bit deeper to see where that value, that, that sort of, that, that, that shifting strategy is in the business and how successful it, it might be. I mean, is, is that the case? Do you, do you work a bit harder on the value uh, approach? Yes, yes, you do. And also, I think what you've got to be certain of is to say, when you're buying these value stocks, you know, your risk is that actually the recovery doesn't come through and um, then you're left exposed. So I think you've got to look at what, what the downside risk is. So for me, it was very important when they you know, raised, um, I think it was around 100, 100 million, which sort of shored up the balance sheet. Um, so although it led to a little bit of dilution, you know, that gave me confidence to, to build up the, the exposures of the stock. You know, at the end of the day, it's sort of trying to look at your downside. Um, so, you know, if, if something comes to next results aren't how I expect them or the year end result or they get hit by a lot of a big contract that we weren't expecting, etc. You know, does that mean it's the end of, of Delarue? And um so you've got you've got to look at the downside, um, and if you're happy that um, basically your your the balance sheet's good enough, etc., to to weather some bumps along the way, yeah. then you know I think that's important as well. So, so, so you mentioned you you uh, personally your your portfolio has, has really um, significantly outperformed uh, the the UK FTSE indices. Um, so, so in terms of value, there might, there is a lot out there in the UK. There are a lot of unloved companies. Um, you mentioned Superdry, but what else have you got your eye on? What are you hunting around? Uh, where are you, where are you hunting? What are you, what are you looking for? Um, I guess it, it's looking for those areas where um, you know people have have written them off. So um, you can look in retail, um, and there's plenty of names uh, in retail. You can look in property. It's not not an area I've I've ever really invested that much in, um, you know, except my house, but I live in that. But, you know, you look at things like Shaftesbury, Shaftesbury this week, it's pretty prime property, which, you know, when the tourists come flocking back to London, which they will do at some stage, um, I just thought, uh, you know, Shaftesbury, which owns, you know, 
large swathes of sort of retail in the in the West End, Carnaby Street, etc. Um, you'd have thought that, that that would bounce back. So I think you've got to be quite selective. But that's ex- that's exactly the case that we made in in the magazine this week in our. Uh new long tip format which i assume you've seen but yeah i, I think you're i think you're right about property I, I i think property but certainly commercial property retail property up in london and places like that has been has been really written off as something that nobody wants anymore yes and and also they'll always i mean the thing about property i guess is that you know people say oh there won't be as you know, much need for office space as there were and maybe, maybe there won't but you know there's still need for houses etc and you can change the use of property as well so um even if there isn't quite the demand there was or companies decide they don't need quite as much because you know 20 percent of their workforce is at home each day is because they take one day a week off or whatever i don't know um, yeah. but you, you know pro- property always has a value in in terms of even if you change the use of it yeah, no, absolutely. And actually, the thing that always strikes me is that, you know, we, we talk, everyone's working from home, or lots of people are working from home at the moment, but, you know, people are talking about a sort of uh, two-day at home, three-day in the office uh, working pattern, but that, that to, to have less space, you would presumably have to hot desk, and, and hot desk is yeah. pretty much something that nobody wants to do right now. You know, we're, we're definitely yeah. not being encouraged to share desks. Yeah, no, but I mean, in the future, in the future, that might be okay. I, I, I don't know. Yeah, I mean it's a difficult one on that, on 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 the working from home, etc. Um, but I, I I can see certainly younger people, etc., will, will will want to get back in. Yeah, I, I think so too. One other area which I do think is important: oil um, and what happens with oil. Because I mean the simple narrative is what we're all going green, um, and so demand for oil is going to drop and um, basically it's never really going to recover and you don't really want to be in these stocks. But I, I mean, I think there's a big opportunity in that over the next couple of years because um, I think when we do return to some semblance of, of normality and people do go on holiday again and they do fly um, and they're, they're out, maybe they'll drive more than public transport, who knows? But I, I mean, I think... Um, you'll see a good recovery in, in the oil price at some stage. And then a lot of these oil stocks will look, will look cheap. And I mean, one of my stocks, Lundin Energy, which is Swedish listed, um, they had results this morning. And uh, a note came across my, my desk. And I, I just rather liked the title of it, which was sort of, um, here it is, buy it. Sleep well and check status in 2022. <laughs> um, and that's sort of my 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 feeling with the stock. You know, it's generating uh, a lot of cash. It's on a free cash flow yield of 17 percent, 23 percent return on invested capital, and volume. You know, it's growing its uh, production. So I'm just sort of buying that, and I expect that in a couple of years' time, I'll have made a, a decent return on it. And in the meantime, I'm getting a, over five percent dividend yield. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you've never you've never really been shy about having uh, oil in the portfolio, though. Uh, it's always uh, it's always been good for you. Um, from, from yeah, the, uh, I've done the... quite well out of yeah names in the past. I mean, even Rockrose, where I where I bailed too early, I, I made a decent profit out of it. Um, but uh, yes, I've done all right in the past with it. I mean, Serica, Serica, I've only got two at the moment. So I've got four and a half percent in Lundin, 
and Serica Energy, I've got one and a half percent in. But you know, they're a gas play, North North Sea, and gas prices are improving. Hundred million of cash on the balance sheet. Yeah, um, that, that maybe that's a recovery play you know, for me. One, one, thing that, one thing that always strikes me about your your portfolio, I mean, actually, I mean, I don't, I don't recall you talking about it that much. Is is the principle of asset allocation? I look at your portfolio and I see, you know, a nice spread of of of, of shares that are diversified across industries. You've got tech in there, healthcare. You've got gold miners. You've got oil companies. Do you think about that? asset allocation approach when you're doing this or are you just picking good companies and it, and it just so happens that you end up with a lovely diversified portfolio uh, I probably started it by trying to pick companies that I think are going to give me a decent return but then I would overlay that by saying but I don't want to have too much in one particular sector or, or theme so um, that, that's the way I've come at it. So I start with the companies, et cetera, but then try and make sure that, uh, you know, I'm not just all in commodity stocks or all in, you know, oil stocks or whatever, yeah, or all, all in. So, so that, that would be the overriding thing at the end, I guess. Yeah, no, it's, it's interesting. It's, as I say, it's not something I recall you writing about, but it just it sort of jumps out at me when I read the portfolio. One for a future column, John. Yeah, there's a, an idea. Yeah, then the, the other thing that I launched at the end of June, it's quite interesting because, you know, occasionally people who are members of, of my sort of website, occasionally people leave. And, and often it, it, the reason was I don't really have time to pick stocks and, you know, all the inclination and all that. I just want to really hold funds which I can sort of feel reasonably relaxed with and look at. So I, I then... I converted my old JIC top 10 portfolio, which was meant to be the top 10 best ideas, which ne- never really seemed to work that well for me. Um, and I converted that at the end of June into just a funds portfolio. So it holds um, investment trusts, ETFs and other funds um, with the aim of getting a, a very good sort of geographic and industrial mix. Um, it's probably a bit grossy. Um, in that, you know, it's got things like uh, Fundsmith and uh, um, the, the uh, Bailey Gifford um, Positive Change Fund, sort of areas like that. Um, oh, and the, the Bristol Tree Cloud Computing ETF. But, but also, you know, I've got other things like BlackRock World Mining in there um, and the Chelberton UK Equity Growth Fund. Anyway, it's got a sort of Exposure and my, and my whole idea with this portfolio was for it to be a, a do little portfolio. In other words, one where you just sort of have a look at it once a month and probably do nothing, and maybe once a year rebalance or maybe get rid of one one fund and replace it with another. So, so except in extremists, really do nothing. And um, so far, I mean, it's only uh, what four months now. I, I have done nothing. Absolutely nothing, not not one trade. And since the 1st of July, it's uh, up 8.3%. And the uh, FTSE All World GBP Total Return Index up 2.3%. So it, it's so far doing well. But um, what I'm slightly worried about is in a year's time, <laughs> if it's done a lot better than the JIC portfolio. It would be a nice problem to have. 
maybe, maybe. <laughs> but we'll and perhaps another valuable lesson that doing nothing sometimes is the best thing to do. Yeah, well, I, I am going to write on that at some stage because I, I, I'll tell you why. Because I have my portfolio, JIC portfolio, as of the 31st of December 2019. I will reveal the results of this. I've done nothing compared <laughs> to uh, doing it. And obviously, you know, I've gone through a few of the mistakes. But um, if I've done absolutely nothing this year, if at first of January I said, you know what, I think I've got a great portfolio here. It will. It's a portfolio for all seasons. Let's say even if there was a terrible pandemic, <laughs> then um, it would have done four percent better than uh, so far than uh, you know the the portfolio where I have been dabbling around. Yeah, it it just goes to show, doesn't it? Is there really a right way in all of this? I think I think I think the whole world finds their way around investing. Um, yeah. These are, these are all valuable lessons. Valuable lesson is just to, not to overtrade. I mean, I don't think I particularly overtraded, but uh, you've really got to think about it. not not see. I mean, the problem is when you're watching screens that are flashing blue and red, etc. I mean, they are designed to get you to to trade. Yeah, and it's and it's what brokers want, it's what brokers want you to do as well because it's where they make their money. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, lots lots to think about, John. It's been absolutely brilliant speaking to you again. And, uh, okay, look, well, thank you. And I look forward to the column in a couple of weeks. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's stamps.com, code PROGRAM.